Today on Elevate Ordinary, we're talking about the four temperaments and how they play into our life in Christ and growth in virtue. We'll see you in a moment. Welcome back to Elevate Ordinary. I'm your host, John Mark Grodi. And I'm Teresa Grodi. And we're back with another extraordinary conversation about the ordinary pursuit of truth, goodness, and beauty. And it's going to be extraordinary, extra, extra, extraordinary today because our guest is a writer and speaker, Connie Rossini. Really excited to talk to her about the temperaments today. But before we get to that, I want to remind you, as always, that if you go to awakencatholic.org slash donate, you can become part of the Awaken Nation, supporting this mission of sharing truth through beautiful media. We really appreciate the support. And actually, you can support this show directly during that process. You'll see a little drop down. Do that. That's helpful. Uh, also, you can download the app by going to theawakenapp.io. Uh, download the app. It's the best way to follow the content, interact with the hosts and other members of the Awaken Nation. Also, there's some special stuff for you if you're able to support the work. So check that out. And finally, uh, download the Hallow app. You can go to hallow.app slash awaken. It's a great app, uh, Catholic meditation app. Uh, many of us here use it. We've been listening to Father Mike Schmitz's podcast, and our kids go to sleep listening to Jonathan Rumi reading the Gospel of Matthew. It's really cool. And if you go to hallow.app slash awaken, you'll get a free month subscription of that, and it also supports our ministry. And we really appreciate that. Thank you very much. So, Teresa, why don't you introduce our guest today? Hi, Connie. Uh, we have Connie Rossini with us today. You can see her here on the screen. There she is joining us from Omaha, Nebraska. You guys have a really fantastic diocese out there, don't you? Yes, we do. Yeah. yeah. It's a nice place to live. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so I came across Connie. Um, actually, Connie, why don't you, I'm so sorry. Why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, as you said, I live in Omaha, Nebraska. We've been here about four years. I've got um, my husband, Dan, who is the editor of the diocesan newspaper. And we have four boys whom I homeschool. Actually, the oldest uh, started college last fall. Nice. So Congratulations. Ha ha. So uh, 14 years of homeschool and he made it. So, um, and I have written five books and co-authored a sixth on different aspects of the spiritual life, including some books on temperaments for uh, children. Yeah. Um, and uh, I also, um, my husband and I are now giving courses, video courses on different aspects of the spiritual life. So cool. Wonderful. You have a, a background in the Carmelite order. Yes. Um, I was a secular order of Discalced Carmelites. Um, I was a member for about 17 years. And my husband's job, we changed. We've moved across state three times since our marriage. So it became impossible for me to keep up the commitment, um, which included going to meetings every month. Yeah. Especially when we had small children, I yeah. couldn't yeah. take a baby for an hour drive to get to <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. I had to let that go. But yeah, I'm very much a um, Carmelite spirituality person. My brother is one of the co-founders of the uh, Carmelite monks of Wyoming. So oh wow, Carmelite is where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, I've been discerning with uh, a Benedictine monastery 
but again, I can't make the, there's no way I can make the commitments. I couldn't even imagine making the right. commitments for 10 years. So um, just praying about it, you know, keeping it in my mind. Um, so that's, yeah. I like, I like uh, seeing how the different spiritualities in the church sometimes call, you know, to our temperament, yeah. to who we are, yeah. you know, and how we're made and how God wants us to serve him. So I first came across you, Connie, um, when my first child was around a to- like toddler age, two, three. Um, and he was just a sweet child, so smart, so diligent, um, very like outgoing, extroverted. But he, when he was two or three, he started having these horrific temper tantrums. I mean, like he would go from sweet, 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 happy, smart, smart kid to like, I'd have to carry him out of a place, kicking and screaming, spitting, pulling my hair. Like actually we once walked out of a Dr. Ray Garendi uh, talk. <laughs> he was like kicking me, punching me in the stomach. <laughs> like, and I'm oh like, it's this talk on parenting. <laughs> um, but I, like his his temper tantrums were just so horrible that I was just like, there's something mentally wrong with this child. And we were living in Steubenville at the time. And of course, that's like a multi-generational Catholic homeschooling, big families like area. And these older moms would be like, oh, no, he's fine. That's normal. And I'm like, why don't I ever see anyone else's child act like this? And I was just I was really distraught about it. And I had picked up this book called The Temperament God Gave Your Kids, I think. I, I don't know who it's by. Um, but as I was reading through the temperaments, um, when I read sanguine, and the three tem- or the four temperaments are choleric, sanguine, melancholic, phlegmatic. Maybe you can tell us a little more about them in just a yes. second. Um, and when I read the chapter on the sanguine, it was like they followed him around. Like it was, it was exactly what I had been seeing in my child down to the temper tantrums, down to like name calling, <laughs> kicking, spitting during temper tantrums. And I was just like, like up until that point, I had thought like, I get this blank slate of a child and I just do all the right things and he becomes this perfect saint. And it wasn't until I had read that book that I was like, wait a second, like perhaps he gets this personality from God, from nature, how he's wired. And it's my job to learn that particular personality and shepherd him and be his spiritual director, mm-hmm. you know, his first spiritual director. Mm-hmm. And so that that was just how, and then I started Googling Catholic um, temperaments and your um, blog, The Contemplative Homeschool, came up and I just, I think I binged, read all your blog articles. And <laughs> you said I reached out to you on Pinterest, which I don't even remember. Um, but we bought the book on the cholerics um, sorry, a spiritual growth plan for your choleric child. And we've got it dog eared everywhere. We love it. So it's very exciting to have you on today. Well, thank you. Yeah. And you had actually, you, you were telling us before you had a similar experience when you had your first child too. Would you tell us a little more about that? Sure. Yes. Um, my husband and I are both introverts. He is primarily melancholic. I'm primarily phlegmatic. And our first child was almost pure choleric. So um, on the cover of my choleric book, I have a lion cub. And that's kind of what a choleric child is like. So um, similar to you, I just thought that there was something wrong with my kid. I thought that um, he was so out of control that either he was going to end up in an institution or, or I was in his <laughs> You know, from the day I brought him home from the hospital, he never took a nap. He didn't sleep at night. You know, um, when his brother was born 
20 months later, he would run by while I was nursing and hit his brother on the head. You know, his favorite activity was throwing toys down the stairs, you know, <laughs> watching them boom, bang, bang, all the way down. Um, and I was going nuts. So um, I came across a book on um, raising your spirit, or your spirited child, yeah. um, which was very helpful in some respects. But it led me to keep looking until I also came across that same series. It was by Art and Lorraine Bennett Mm -hmm. about uh, the temperament God gave you. Mm -hmm. And um, then I began to see, okay, he's the opposite temperament from me. This isn't something that's a flaw in him. It's just a very, very different way of looking at the world, a very, very different way of operating. And if I can understand him, um, maybe we can work something out where we're not going to drive each other nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the the temperaments for those who aren't familiar with them. We can kind of give a little overview, but maybe also comment if you would, I think sometimes when people are unfamiliar with this kind of a conversation, you know, there's, there's kind of two um, reactions they might have to it. Either people hear about temperament or personality stuff and they, they think, Oh, that's all just a bunch of nonsense. Everyone's completely unique and there's no there's no patterns to really be seen. Or they maybe go in the other direction of assuming that like you can figure out somebody's personality down to a T. You know, what's where do where do the temperaments kind of fit in that? And maybe a little bit where do we where do we receive the this concept from? Yeah, well, temperament is different from yeah. personality. Mm-hmm. Temperament is really considered to be something that's inborn. Okay. So you're born with it. Um it, they, scientists have not yet pinpointed what genes are involved in your temperament. But way back in um, ancient Greece, Hippocrates, the father of medicine, recognized that there's really four basic ways that people operate naturally um, and then different variations on them. Um, and so we still look at heat. He gave them the names choleric, melancholic, phlegmatic, and sanguine because he believed that they were related to having an excess of some kind of bodily fluid. So if you had too much blood, you were sanguine. If you had too much phlegm, you were phlegmatic, <laughs> etc. So that's why we have these really strange names. Sure, sure. So um, people, you know, in modern times don't believe it has anything to do with bodily fluids, but... Generally speaking, we do believe that it's a biological thing. It's something physical. There's something um, in the way that God made our bodies that determines our temperaments. So temperament, really at the root of it, it is talking about how you naturally react to stimuli. Do you react really slowly or really quickly to stimuli? Do you react mildly or strongly? And then how long do those impressions last? Do you very quickly move on to the next thing or do you kind of stay there with your impressions? So that's temperament. It's the basis of our personality, but personality also includes things like our environment, the family we grew up in, um, our education, and then very much uh, the decisions that we make in life and our talents as well. So one phlegmatic person will have a lot of similarities with the next phlegmatic person, and yet they're in no way identical twins. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this is interesting because in our marriage, I remember at one point um, we had just had like a disagreement and I reacted, whatever it was, like I reacted and then we kind of fought and then intellectually it resolved in my head why we were fighting and I felt okay. And I was like, okay. And I just went on to the next thing and he's still sitting here like, like, I'm not resolved. I don't, I, and I'm like, can't you see what, yeah. I mean, we disagreed and now we understand why we disagreed and like, we can just move on. Right. Yeah. And we realized at that moment, like I'm a reactor, but I'm also someone that just kind of like, all right, awesome. Water under the bridge. We're done. You know, and I quickly move away. Whereas he has to like sit and resolve it. Yeah. And <laughs> I, had, I had this conversation with a colleague, uh, I think last year at one point, cause I realized that he would come to me with ideas and in the moment, I'd panic a little bit because I would feel like I need to give him an answer right then and there. And it, over time, I realized, oh, wait a minute. No, no, I just need to tell a person, that's an interesting idea. I'm going to sit with that for a couple of days and I'll get back to you because I, I have an initial impression, but it takes me a while to be able to verbalize it or to understand my own feelings about it. And so mm-hmm. that that's probably a melancholic sort of thing. Yes, that sounds like okay. melancholic. So that's, that's, that's very important. Yeah. Actually, a lot of melancholics will sit and they'll be ruminating, thinking over the question, and they say nothing because they're so interiorly focused. They assume that everybody else knows what's going on inside their head as well as they do in a certain way. So if you just say, okay, I'm going to think about that, but I'll get back to you, that's very helpful for the people around you to know that you're not ignoring them. Um, it's not that you think that what they're asking about is unimportant, but you just need some real time to think before you can come back with your answer. Right. Well, in the, in the anecdotes we've, we've given and just that example right there, I mean, obviously it becomes hopefully those, those listening in, even if they're really uh, new to the temperament idea, I think we can see that how this could be so important for our understanding of ourselves um, particularly with an eye, a practical eye toward the, the life of virtue. That if we, if 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 we're put on the earth for a purpose to to grow in holiness and to pursue to pursue God and to imitate Him, then a lot of that comes down to our habits, our virtues, our vices. Um, and but so much of that is tied up with understanding why do I react to the things I react to, or you know, oftentimes we act in ways we don't understand. Once we understand them a bit better, then we can make more prudent plans for how to, how to build those habits. Yeah. We always, we always say like prudence is the right response to reality. And so kind of, you have to under, understand the reality of the situation, you know, the reality of your own thought process and your own, you know, natural inclinations. And mm-hmm. as Mr. Darcy says, the, uh, we'll get to that in a couple episodes, but oh. you know, <laughs> uh, everybody has their own natural vices or, or inclination, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> So how, in terms of understanding those better, like how does one sort of figure that out about, about themselves, about how do you sort of identify yourself? So traditionally, there are two questions you can ask yourself to get a good idea of what your primary temperament is. And the first one is, do I react to stimuli, whether it's exterior or interior? Do I react to it quickly or does it take me a long time to react? So if you react quickly, you are uh, generally an extrovert. If it takes you a long time, you have to think about it first, and then you react, Mm -hmm. that's the introverted 
temperaments. Now, but you, then you yeah. go ahead. Can you dig into when we talk about React here? Because I, I realized last year that yeah. that I, I I think I had a misunderstanding about these for a long time. Because when I would think of reaction, I noticed in myself that I would I'd have a quick reaction in terms of my impression like i'd have a lot of feelings real quick but i couldn't express those or do anything with those and so i think it, over time i realized wait a minute okay i don't react quickly I, I have feelings but it but the reaction in terms of like processing it that's what takes me a longer yes. time so maybe mm-hmm. dig into the react what does it mean reacting quickly or slowly yeah i think you've got it there that the um the, the extroverted temperaments they really figure out what they're thinking yeah by how they act and what they say. Mm. Whereas the introverted temperaments, we need to really process those thoughts for a long time and examine the question from many different sides before we say, oh, this is what I really think. This is what I really feel. And then we can express it only once we've come to that realization interiorly. Right. So that's why the uh, reaction, at least on the outside, is much slower. You're right that sometimes, especially if you've got habits, you talked about habits of Mm -hmm. virtue and vice. Mm -hmm. I know um, I'm a phlegmatic, but I can react very strongly towards certain stimuli. Like if my kids behave in a certain way, I can yell right away. Why? Because of my habits. Because I've been in that situation time and time again, and I'm used to reacting in that situation. So that can muddy the waters a sure. little bit. Um, but then to distinguish the two extroverted temperaments from each other or the two introverted temperaments from each other, the second question that you ask is how long do p- impressions last? How long do I stick with them? So um, some people very quickly move on. They might react very fast to an impression, but then the next impression comes along and they move on to that and they forget what is behind. And that's kind of what I heard Teresa saying about herself. That's more of the sanguine temperament. Whereas other people, they might react quickly or slowly at first, but some of them will um, very, very for a long time, stick with that idea. So the melancholic especially is going to be the person who reacts most slowly and who hangs on to his impressions for the longest time. So he lives more or less in the future and the past than he does in mm. the present. He's always thinking of what's going to come or he's thinking of what already happened. Whereas the same one, the opposite, is living almost completely in the present. What's happening right now? What happened five minutes ago doesn't matter anymore. Like you said, it's water under the bridge. What's going to happen five minutes from now? Who cares? You know, I'm in the present. Let's deal with this right now. So those are kind of the the, um, questions you can ask. So sanguine um, reacts very quickly, Mm -hmm. but very quickly moves on. Choleric reacts very quickly, but tends to hang on his impressions melancholic reacts very slowly and stays with those impressions for a long time phlegmatic might not seem to react very much at all um but the phlegmatic the impressions that come um she's going to react slowly to them but move on much more quickly than the melancholic 
Okay, so here once again, um, I, I feel like I've heard these maybe perhaps too many times before, and so I, maybe some of the meaning is lost in there. When we talk about holding on to impression, could give us some examples of a little bit of that. Like, because when I think about myself, okay, the, the reaction part, that makes sense to me now. Um, but what, what is it when we're talking about holding on to an impression? Uh, is that is that like if I meet somebody and I make a first impression, whether I kind of hold on to that picture of them or whether my my mind is easily changed? What, what is it, what's kind of get, being got out there by that phrase? Yeah, a lot of it is what are you thinking about okay. afterwards? So um, are you so if I have a conversation with somebody online and mm-hmm. let's say I have a disagreement with them online, mm-hmm. some people can have an argument with somebody online and five minutes later, that person is their best friend. It doesn't uh, matter what they've gone through. Mm-hmm. They just move right on. Gotcha. For people whose impressions stay with them longer, they will be thinking about that conversation mm-hmm. all day long and maybe the next day and the day after that, depending on what their temperament is. So is it consuming your thought life? Are you directing your activities toward that impression that you received? That's interesting. It's almost like we've got acceleration and inertia. Like how quickly do you accelerate and, and how, how, how much do you have a tendency to, to continue on with the particular feeling? Yeah, and I would say an inertia is is how I would describe the phlegmatic temperament yeah. in one word. Yeah. They are the person that, you know, if they are in motion, they tend to stay in motion. Mm-hmm. And if they are at rest, they tend to stay at rest. And oh, wow. either way, you can't really get them to move or to stop um, from outside forces. It has to come from huh. within. Oh, that's interesting. So real, like, real quickly before we go on, just to make sure that no one uh, missed them. Okay, so we've got the... The melancholic, that's the slow, slow, you know, slow to get moving, slow slow to to react and then slow and then they hold on for a long time. Uh, The opposite of that is the sanguine, which is a quick reaction and a quick to move on. And then the choleric is the quick to react, react, but but holds on. Right. Determined sort of. uh, And then the phlegmatic is what's left here. Slow to react. Slow to react. And, and then quick, quick to move on. on. Got yeah. it. Cool. Okay. So uh, <laughs> this is funny because in my head, I'm thinking of, of the differences in the choleric and the sanguine. And perhaps if you're like a choleric sanguine, which I, I think I'm pretty close to 50, 50, but I mean, I mean, whatever, whatever that means. Um, but so sometimes like when you brought up the internet stuff, like I can't get on the internet and have discussions with people because it disrupts me too much. So my choleric comes out in that moment. Mm -hmm. But like with my children or with family members, it's so much easier to just like let it go afterwards. And I'm wondering, like, is is it a habit? Is it a virtue that I've required? That if I have a relationship with someone, like is it something that I've worked towards where like maybe my initial reaction is to stew but over time, like coming to know God and um, trusting in him more and trusting in his mercy more, like have I acquired this habit of like letting things go, particularly with people I have relationships with, you know, like it's harder for me to stew when I have a relationship with someone um, than it is for like some stranger out there that I can do nothing about than I stew forever. <laughs> and so I don't know, like what, <laughs> I mean, I guess you don't know me, but like, I'm just trying to think like, 
Yeah, yeah that could be. It could be, you know, the maturity that you have come to um, personally, psychologically, spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, it could just be different sides of you are going to, you know, come to the fore in mm-hmm. different situations. I think the internet brings out the worst in this about everybody. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I'm since I'm primarily phlegmatic, uh, phlegmatic, the thing that they hate the most is conflict. Mm-hmm. So, uh, face-to-face, I don't argue with anybody except my own family. Okay. So actually within the family, I, you know, I will argue with people a lot, oh, that's but interesting. people outside of the family, you know, I want to keep the peace. So, mm-hmm. but if they're on the internet and I don't have to look at them face to face, well, then it all comes out all my disagreements. I'm not afraid to put wow. out. So oh, that is really interesting because I love having hard and difficult. Like I don't seek them out. Like I'm not like, Oh, I better go have this discussion with this neighbor that I had a hard time. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. But once the conversation gets rolling, it's just like, I love fighting with some, not like fighting mean, but just like having a real disagreement (sighs) and like not letting go and getting that other person to see what, you know, but like when it's on the internet or when it's in like a newspaper, like I can't read apologetics books. I can't read Catholic atheist discussion books because they drive me insane. And I think about them mm-hmm. forever, but perhaps mm-hmm. that's because I can't do anything about that. But with the person in front of me, there is some, like you have to look eye to eye. You have to recognize that person's dignity. You know, like I'm certainly not going to lop their head off or throw stones at them in front of me, but you're right. Like when they're not there, it's kind of, you, you can't in, a, in another way, like you can't touch them. Yeah. You can, you know, like you can't make any real difference. You can just fight, you know, and it's, yeah. it's horrible. And it just stay, it stays with me forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, as we noted, this like, is Teresa's we, like personal, <laughs> like therapy we're figure you out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. We, we talk a lot about the virtues. Uh, we're real big on the cardinal virtues. We've talked, you know, so prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance. We've talked a lot about them on here. We, we like to have that framework in mind so we can tie this back because I, I like how the virtues give us this great picture of how the human person works. You know, we are intellect, which our intellect guides our will, and then we have, our will directs our passions as best as it can toward the right, the right places. But they don't always go to the right places. A lot of times, we find ourselves um, um, as very passionate people. We have a lot of feelings. We have a lot of inner things going on. Uh, that, and we, in the midst of all those feelings, we have to still make good choices. Well, again, with the temperaments, we can understand some of those movements of the heart better. Uh, so that we can make more uh, practical, more wise, prudent plans about how to handle ourselves, how to make a rule of life, how to go about our spiritual life, how to build the the needed virtues, and to get rid of the of the vices that we're that that we have. And so, I mean, let's let's move to that a little bit. Like, you have a lot of background in in writing and thinking about this. If one kind of goes through those questions and begins to get a sense of their temperament. Where where do they start? Maybe what are some of the ways that they can begin to use that knowledge uh, in terms of their prayer life or their their practical virtue and vice life? What what are some ways that they can begin to use that practically? Well, first of all, I think it's important to realize that temperaments are a good thing. Yeah. So there are some people who will think that you have to overcome your temperament, or they you know, erroneously teach that you need to become a balance among all four temperaments that just can't happen. So um, temperament is something that God gave you. It's his gift to you. But um, because of the fall, everything that is a good gift, we can use wrongly. Mm -hmm. 
So it really helps once you pinpoint, uh, let's say that you've pinpointed that you are a choleric and um, you know that you, that for you, justice is really, really important. Hmm. Well, that can be very helpful in your spiritual life. It can help you to make sure that you are acting justly towards other people. It can, um, a choleric might be somebody who wants to uh, start a new organization that's helping people find justice, really, you know, either in law or um, maybe helping people who have been abused or hurt or something of that that um, sort of thing in order to bring justice. But on the flip side of that, because you are so strong uh, on justice, you could be very judgmental towards other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you could see the world as fundamentally unfair and be angry about that, um, lash out to at people when you see them behaving unjustly. So knowing that, that that is your temperament, you can start to say, okay, how, why did God give me this idea of justice? Why, how does he want me to use that? And how have I been acting in the past and misusing that in a way that is actually hurting other people and hurting my relationship with God instead of furthering God's kingdom on earth. Yeah. Yeah. It's again, going back to the, the virtues here, we, we talk, we have talked often about, um, so I, I, my favorite author on this subject is Joseph Pieper, um, drawing from St. Thomas Aquinas. And he makes such a big point at the beginning of his book on the Cardinal Virtues, um, a point that's not often familiar, even amongst people who, who talk a lot about the virtues, which is Thomas's emphasis on prudence as this steersman of the, of the virtues. It's the, it's the cardinal of the cardinal virtues. It's the mother and mold of all moral virtue. It's the, it's the virtue bearer. And that, that, that great example there, you can have a person who's temperamentally very intent on justice. And that's probably a, a lot of the choleric temperament is someone who's very intent on justice, getting things done, uh, action oriented kind of a thing. Um, but uh, those examples you gave, that person, that they, they have to make sure that that's being connected back to reality and to this this prudent attentiveness to, God, what do you want me to do with this? Because if I'm just going with my thirst for justice, well, sometimes that gets me into fights. Sometimes that gets me into, you know, angry battles. But it's saying, Lord, no, no, what do you, you gave me this gift. Where do you want this uh, this to be done? There's a lot of d- the discernment uh, there. So I'm I'm actually, oddly enough, thinking about when we host parties. Yes. Um, in our mom's group at times we'll have like big mom nights or things like that. And people will come to our home. I love hosting. I love having people over. I can have people over at like the drop of the hat. I don't clean. We just, we do it. We just have a party. That's what sanguines do. Right. (laughs) Um, so, but I realized early on that once people show up, so I have a background in event planning, so I can plan an event, but once people show up, I am like totally focused on having conversation and I just like, I become the conversation person and I pay all the attention to the people and like talk. And I realize like no one has water, no one has glasses, no one knows where the food is, no one knows where the bathroom is. And like, I'm just focused on having conversations with the people. So in, in learning that about myself, I realized that I need to delegate to another person who's there before the event that can you just make sure 
Like, can you be the second hostess and just make sure that I'm not, you know, people are without seconds or without drinks or without silverware or whatever it is that I've forgotten. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I do, I, I have a propensity for throwing parties, but I realize now that I'm deficient in some of the areas that make for a really good and hospitable party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that self-knowledge is so important that you've recognized that in yourself and then you made the adjustments and you're doing something to remedy that, which is really a strength in you. But if people are not getting their water or their, you know, snacks or whatever, it can lead to an area of weakness, right? Or it can bring yeah. about a bad result if somebody's not covering that. Um, In my family, we're all very, very aware of what our temperaments are and what everybody else's temperaments, temperament is. And so whenever there's some kind of conflict, I'm the phlegmatic, so I'm the peacemaker. Um, So I bring people together and we're like, okay, now try to understand it from his perspective. You know, your brother's sanguine. He's not going to see it the same way as you do as a melancholic. So you know, it helps us to really start looking beyond our own little tunnel vision vision, and seeing, okay, um, this other person has strengths as well. His opinion might have something that he can offer me, um, his talents. Let's all somehow figure out how we're going to work together to understand each other and to come to an agreement and then move forward on whatever project it is that's and we're involved in. You have some really neat lesson plans in the back of this choleric book. Now you have a, um, a guide on cholerics and a guide on phlegmatics because you're doing it based on what kids you've grown, right? So your oldest is choleric. And, My oldest is yeah. choleric. My second is actually melancholic. Oh. But I am secondarily very strongly melancholic. My husband is mel- melancholic. My sister that I'm very close to is melancholic. I... I understand melancholics very well. So my melancholic child is actually the easiest for me to parent. Mm. So there hasn't been the um, motivation. I've gotten about halfway done with a melancholic book and it's been sitting there for a long time. So I'm determined to finish it this year because a lot of people ask about it. My phlegmatic is my third child. Um, He's phlegmatic sanguine. Whereas oh, I am phlegmatic melancholic. <laughs> so there is there are a lot of differences between mm-hmm. him and me because of that secondary temperament. Mm-hmm. And then my fourth is sanguine. So we have one of each temperament in our four kids. Um, so I'll be doing the sanguine temperament last. But oh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> you know, so once people have gone through the exercise, maybe with themselves and their family a little bit, I mean, there's the, the making the identification but I th- feel like then there's a process over time of observing your own feelings and behaviors and other persons and beginning to un- understand them through the lens of the temperament better. I was thinking about the, like the, we talk a lot about the evening examine, um, which is a, you know, a, a very normal recommendation for Christians to do is to do make an examination of your day, examination of conscience kind of a thing. I think sometimes people don't do that because they're thinking of it just as, I'm writing down my list of my sins and feeling bad about myself. But I think you know, with the temperaments in mind, it's what happened today. And then let's look at what led up to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause that's a lot of what this is, is it's, it's all the internal stuff that comes before maybe the word or the action. 
Right. And if I can understand what my motivations are, then it's going to be much easier to change my behavior because, you know, every behavior we choose, we choose what we think is good in the moment. Right. So why do I think that this particular choice, which ended up being a bad choice, why did I think that that would be a good thing? Well, maybe I was trying to protect myself somehow. Maybe I was being forced to make a decision too quickly before I was ready. How can I then, um, knowing my temperament, change that so that next time I'm in the same situation, I react in a more virtuous way? Yeah. Yeah. Every time we go to confession, we, 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 we pray that we we promise the Lord. We tell the Lord that, you know, we're going to try to avoid sin, but also avoid the near occasions of sin. And I feel like the near occasions of sin, there's a lot of variety amongst people, but a lot of that's going to come down to temperament in the sense of yes. the kinds of situations that get me into trouble. But I have to be, again, going through that little bit of investigation after the fact to see, okay, what are those patterns, those situations for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, uh, being a sanguine or partial sanguine or whatever, keeping a spiritual journal, like I have a spiritual director, so I want to have like, in my head, I was like, well, I'd need to have something to bring to him. So I'm going to start keeping a spiritual journal. But once I started, sanguines have a hard time remembering. So like once you're past that impression, the new mm-hmm. thing that shows up is your new normal and you just start living it. Um, and so keeping the spiritual journal, I started noticing at one point that I would write the same phrases, like totally the exact same phrases. Um, and I would have like really obsessive, obsessive thoughts. And for some reason, it occurred to me, like we, we use natural family planning. And so I chart my cycle and it occurred to me to check at what point in my cycle I was every time I had these like obsessive phrases that I would put in like, uh, like paranoid, just like paranoid ish phrases. And it turned out it was the same time in my cycle every single time. And so then I started paying attention going forward and sure enough, like it would show up the same four or five days. It would just be like the same the same thought patterns, the obsessiveness. And then once I realized that I was able to be like, this will pass, you know, before it was like, didn't I get over this? I'm back to this. I thought I, I thought I accomplished it, but then it, it was just like, okay, like I just have to ride out these four or five days with these, you know, these, these solutions, these temporary solutions, like turn on music instead of following this pattern of thinking, you know, mm-hmm. turn on some music or read a book or, you know, occupy, occupy your mind. And it was just, it was so helpful um, because I have a hard time with memory, right? You know, like I just go to the next thing and that's the next thing. Um, so I guess I, I do have a question for you, a really long way to ask you a question, but like as a sanguine or somebody who moves past the next thing quickly, um, how do I keep my memory? You know, my memory of like where I've been, the lesson I've learned, and how do I take that with me into the future? Well, I think that what you are doing is really important, that there has to be somehow that the sanguine is reflecting and probably writing things down. So um, the sanguine needs to, even though uh, he or she wants to be with people all the time, Mm. has to learn to take some time to reflect, even though that doesn't come naturally to that person. It sounds like torture. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You know, so- But, you know, whether you have a spiritual director or not, just doing that journaling, maybe, you know, after you've prayed, just say, okay, five things, this is, you know, I'm going to write 
one, even five words of what happened during my prayer time or um, at the end of the day, when you do that examine, Mm -hmm. write down a word or two. Okay. How, what were the graces today? What were the difficulties today? So that you can look back in the, uh, over those patterns. I just consequently, I just uh, put on my blog two days ago, a spiritual planner and prayer journal that I designed. So, um, people can check that out at contemplative homeschool because, um, I know that a lot of people like to journal and there's not a lot out there that's geared towards Catholic like meditation on scripture. Um, but not just sanguines. I mean, I, as a phlegmatic, when I go to spiritual direction, I hear all these great ideas that my spiritual director has. I write them all down and then I forget all about them. I never implement them. I have the best intentions and I don't do them because I don't look back at my notes. So that's one thing, an area where the phlegmatic has to become more disciplined to, you know, set a specific time. Maybe when I do my exam at night, I'm going to look back at what I'm supposed to be doing according to what I've written down from spiritual direction and saying specifically, did I do what my spiritual director recommended that I do? Or did I forget about it again? Mm-hmm. Right. So then on the flip side, this is really interesting. So the flip side, then we've got the the choleric and the melancholics where the, the pro- often probably have the opposite difficulty of being able to let things go, you know, and, and as you noted too, uh, not living in always in the the past or the future, you know, being able to be present, that's probably often very hard for the the choleric and melancholic who are are determined to get back to the problem or get back to the fight or to, to, even though you're here, you're still thinking about the the argument you had this morning. And so, so too, like how do they begin to learn to be more present? I would, I I wonder. I think um, for the melancholic, even though, so it's the opposite of for the sanguine, even though he loves to be alone and spend time alone, sometimes the melancholic has to make the sacrifice of being with other people. Um, I think the melancholic is very dutiful. So if he is given tasks to do, um, he will concentrate on those and get those done. And hopefully um, having these outside tasks that he has to work on, maybe, uh, a physical task, especially, or just going for a walk or, you know, going to the gym and having a workout, maybe will get the melancholic out of his head a little bit so that he's not always just in the interior. Same thing with having a conversation with other people. Um, Even though it makes him uncomfortable, sometimes he's got to uh, reach out more, do more socializing, just so that he's not always, always focused on those interior things, which, you know, wounds and um, ways that people have sinned against him, he's never going to forget if he's always thinking about them. Yeah. Um, the choleric, you know, the choleric is very agenda driven. Mm-hmm. So I know my choleric son really likes to have, um, he likes to know what's coming up ahead. So even in really trivial things, like if we're going to watch a movie together as a family, we've been watching uh, Lord of the Rings just started rewatching the trilogy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he wants to know, you know, at six o'clock in the evening, 
are we going to watch something tonight? And at what time? Oh my gosh. That's Dominic, Dominic, Dominic waiting for shipments him. in the mail. Oh, he's yeah. <laughs> Sorry. If we come to him at 8 PM and say, we want to watch this. Well, he's involved and he's, you know, working on a book that he's writing or doing homework or whatever. No, that's not his agenda now. So to, in order to, that's one of the ways that we can help the cholerics out is by giving them a heads up. Hey, this is what's expected coming up. So be mentally prepared to at eight o'clock, shut down your computer, close your book or whatever, and join in this activity with the rest of us. You know, I, I love, you mentioned earlier something I hadn't thought about before in terms of the temperaments and that's that they're, they're a bodily thing. They're a biological thing. And, and that makes me think a lot of something we've talked a lot about here and Andrew Reinhardt over on his show, Physically Spiritual, talks a lot about, you know, looking at ourselves as as a whole integrated human being and recognizing the, you know, how all aspects of our humanity play together. But, you know, the, more poignantly, thinking of how our reactions, they happen, they're a bodily event. You know, like when, when you get anxious, you know, you feel it right there. That's where I feel it. I feel it in the pit of my stomach. Here. And I feel like... Keeping that in mind, like the example I was thinking of with the choleric is, you know, so our son Dominic is is choleric and I can definitely see how it's so jarring for him to not know what's coming or to have the plans unexpectedly change. And sometimes we think of that as it's a purely an intellectual thing. Why can't they just get this? But, we, have, you know, I think it helps us to be merciful to people around us, recognize that this is actually a very bodily, visceral experience this kind of a person has you know, in, in response to the plans changing, he feels it, he feels it here, you know, and I, that maybe helps me to be more merciful in saying to help him act best, to help him be most in control of himself. I need to take that into account so that I'm not, I don't throw him into a situation that is just very difficult for his particular temperament. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of us, whatever temperament we are, we have certain situations that would tend to make us anxious or depressed And especially if you have a psychological inclination that way, you know, we really need to watch um, what it is that is going Mm. to trigger that. So for um, for the choleric, it's, you know, he can if he doesn't have an agenda, he can get really depressed or he can Mm. get really Mm -hmm. anxious if his agenda is suddenly taken away from him. And so he does get that, you know, jittery feeling just because. He thought he was going to concentrate on this and suddenly he can't because of that's, somebody outside. That's yeah. me for sure. Wow. Yeah. I was thinking, so another variation, I feel like of all this, I'm, and I'm thinking of my own temperament here. So melancholic, um, you'd think with the, with the slow reaction time and the slow to hold on, you, you have a person who, I can't remember how you described it, but you know, like I tend to swing between either being, um, you know, very detail oriented, you know, lists and plans and charts that I stick to and I work through and I love that kind of stuff Two, if I'm not, um, the caring for myself, you know, mentally and, and spiritually and physically so that I'm actually preparing for that, then I'm overwhelmed by, by all that stuff that I'm not prepared for. And so I swing, tend to swing between like super driven, detail oriented, working through stuff, projects, plans to, almost despairing and just like throwing it all off because the way that my, my, my mind works, my reaction works, I, I, I want to do it big or go home. Like I, I need to be fully organized and planned and understand it. Otherwise I'm just like, I can't even adult today, you know, like that. <laughs> so. 
is, yeah. is, is there a temperament? So maybe this is a temperament thing. So, um, I realized maybe about 10 years ago that I had to not watch certain movies because they would keep me in a space for like days. So two types of movies. One would be like romance movies. Like if I watched movies where like the heroine was always being like her heart ripped out and someone was hurting her, I would like put that on the relationship that I was in. You know, like he's going to cheat on me and he's the... And then the other was like post-apocalyptic movies where the world, like there's no God, obviously, because in those movies there's just like no God. And then like everything is going, like everything is crashing down. And those are my funnest movies. I love watching them. I love action and big, you know. But then for days afterwards, I would just be depressed and hopeless and despairing. And I had to stop watching those kind of movies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think because of the... The sanguine is really influenced by things mm. outside herself so, and by other people. So, yeah, yeah the, the, the people that you hang out with, the environment that you're in. And I think that can probably happen with the movies, too. Huh. If, you, if you're watching a really depressed movie, depressing movie, it might be to you like you've been there and yeah. you're experiencing that. Yeah. And then your choleric side is hanging onto it. It's not letting you move on. So yeah. I think that's probably, it's a little huh. bit of the interplay of the two. Yeah. Um, yes. I think that some people can watch a movie and just like, you know, well, yeah. depending on the movie, I think all of us can do that. But <laughs> you, you, He um, watches like zombie movies and I'm like, how I can you? Well, you used to watch that one show that everybody watched <laughs> about zombies. But I'm just like, how can you watch that and then go to bed? <laughs> or certain music. I think I, I tend to have music that I listen to that Teresa can't listen to because it's too emotionally involved. And, and it'll stick with her. Yeah. Whereas for whatever reason. It makes him happy. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah. Well, but so another interesting thing with music, there's so, obviously we can't go into all the things, but there's so, so many areas in life. I think it's interesting once you have this lens to look at, uh, I've reflected about how um, it takes me a long time to get into new music. So I have like four or five albums that have been shared with me in the past five or six years that I basically just listened to over and over and over. It took me a long time to break into them. Like it was almost like a song at a time. I'd have to listen over and over to kind of figure out what it was about, whatever. And then now that I've figured out the album, uh, so to speak, now I just, I listen to it over and over and over again. So it, it took me a long time to dig in, but now they're just, this is like my albums. These are the, my songs that I listen to. And so it's, it's just interesting how, yeah, the temperaments, every aspect of your life, they they show these variations on how we, how we respond to things. It's very interesting. It's probably important to take the discernment of spirits, like St. Ignatius of Loyola's discernment of spirits into the temperaments, because a lot of these things, the way that we've discerned them is the feeling that comes after, you know, like the, I did this particular thing. And then afterwards I just feel terrible for days, or I did this particular thing and I really, really regret it. Like just really paying attention or I did this particular thing and I was like filled up for days and days afterwards, you know, it made me smile just thinking about it afterwards, you know, kind of just taking, taking situations and asking like, how did that make me, like what fruit did it bear? I guess afterwards for my personality and for my spiritual life and for my peace. (laughs) I was going to ask about, you know, what, and I know we we probably need to bring this to a close soon, but I, I wanted to be sure to ask, um, I'm sure you've thought a bit about the temperaments and, and, and an individual's development of their prayer life. How how does 
how does the temperaments give us maybe some insight into how how we should go about that in a in the most effective way for ourselves? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think uh, melancholics are probably the people who are most um, easily able to pray, like the um, meditation on scripture, that you're really drawn to that. Um, you have really high ideals and you can uh, reflect in the moment a lot better at, um, than some of the other temperaments can. But I think it's important for a melancholic person to make sure that some of their meditations are on lighter subjects, <laughs> that they're not always meditating on portions of scripture that are, uh, you know, the end of the world is coming or, you know, uh, Job or something like that, right? Because it's not healthy. So you could maybe use the Psalms or another part of scripture or you know, Jesus with the children or something that's a little bit more uplifting, especially if you are um, going through some difficult time or you've um, had something happen in your life that has hurt you when you're tending to focus on that hurt too much. Um, I think my, my phlegmatic son has found that the examine prayer works really well for him. He's kind of made that into his mental prayer. Um, it's a little bit less structured. So um, he's, you know, not confined and his lower energy is able to get through all the parts of it and do the reflections without feeling like, Oh, I have to do A, B, C, and I'm just overwhelmed. Mm. Um, I think that the sanguine is probably going to have a lot of troubles with exterior distractions in prayer. So it's important for a sanguine to pick a place to pray where there's no work around. Obviously, there's no people nearby, if possible, that maybe, you know, like I've got my dresser, you can see behind me has a little shrine where I, I pray in my bedroom. So use these exterior things to draw you into God's presence. I think that can be really helpful for the sanguine in particular, and to look at um, the crucifix or look at an icon or a holy picture to draw you back into God's presence. Mm -hmm. And then the choleric, frankly, I'm still trying to figure out the choleric. I was going to ask about that. That one seems like difficult. Um, yeah. You know, so I, with my choleric son, I taught him mental prayer a long time ago. He's still trying to um, make it his own and um, figure out just exactly what, you know, how he should be doing prayer in a way that he has affinity toward um, he likes to be in control and have his own agenda. So I think having steps that I have recommended, he kind of uh, uh, reacts against that because mm. he wants to, you know, do it his way. So um, that one is a little bit harder for me right now. Yeah, I think I've noticed that a lot with, with my son that um, I, I get worried sometimes because in the moment it's hard to get him to focus on something that he's just not super interested in right now. Like if he if he doesn't have a strong interest in it, I'm beating my head against the wall to try to get him to focus on maybe a, an aspect of prayer or the faith that I'm I'm very intent on. Um, but he he'll come around later, you know, when something finally clicks from him, then he'll he'll say or do something 
that I'm recognized. Okay, that thing it's it took a while to settle in, but now it, it's yep. meaningful to him, and now it's coming out in in prayer or in good action. But in the moment, it's hard to get him to to focus on what I want him to focus on. I almost wonder if even so, our son's nine, so he's not he's not very old. Okay. But um, I almost wonder if taking him to a religious gift store and just letting him pick out his own devotional, yeah, maybe something that. Yeah. You know, because like we have a big library, but it's still all our books and maybe he doesn't want to read any of those spiritual books, but letting him pick his saint that he really likes. Like he's named Dominic. We named after him after the great Dominic, but he like mm-hmm. insists, like I love St. Dominic Savio and I've kind of stopped fighting it, you know, like just stop fighting the, it's an error, you know, like a, but it's not a bad thing. You know what I mean? Like it's not right. So letting him take St. Dominic Savio, um, because he chose it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. I had to learn that in homeschool a yes. lot with my choleric son is that I had an idea of what I wanted him to learn and yes. how mm-hmm. I thought we should go about it. And I had to learn that um, I can just give him the subject and let him figure out how he wants to learn it. Mm-hmm. You know, and if he has a completely different idea of how to delve into it than I did, if I wanted him to write a report and he wants to make a, you know, PowerPoint slideshow or something like that, you know, to let him do that mm-hmm. and to just let go and realize that um, the end result is probably going to be just as good and he'll be happy with it. And yeah. I will be fighting. Him all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's two cholerics homeschooling is, you know, the choleric is, has been, that's been a difficult thing to learn. I want to read this, uh, this quote I found from Lewis talking a little bit about the temperaments. This is from mere Christianity. He writes, but though natural liking should normally be encouraged, it would be quite wrong to think that the way to become charitable is to sit around trying to manufacture affectionate feelings. Some people are cold by temperament. That may be a misfortune for them, but it is no more a sin than having a bad digestion is a sin. And it does not cut them out from the chance or excuse them from the duty of learning charity. I, I, again, I like this notion, uh, this reminder in the, in the temperaments that, uh, as you said, they're gift. And so we get to know that gift and, and that gives us the, the opportunity, the chance, but also the duty to, you know, to, to guide that gift into its right groove. And if we understand that, that in ourselves, but also in the people around us, like we can, we can help each other better you know, to, to use those gifts and to, and to blossom as best as possible. So, well, this has been a wonderful conversation, Connie. I feel like we could talk about this stuff forever. I have to Uh, stop asking so many directions. I would love to take it, but we don't want to keep you forever, but uh, thank you so much for sharing with us and for your work. Um, Maybe before we go, maybe just remind the people again of your, of your blog and your work and any invitations you would like to make for them to connect with you. Yes. So um, my blog is contemplativehomeschool.com. I uh, am trying to get people to sign up for my blog so I can do less on social media because, as we all know, Facebook (laughs) is not very Christian friendly right now. Um, Although I do have a group that has 15,000 members on Facebook, which is Authentic Contemplative Prayer. So if you want to learn more about the Catholic tradition of prayer, um, we talk about it every day there if you're on Facebook. As I mentioned at the beginning, I've got those courses uh, that my husband and I are teaching together, um, video courses that we offer about four times a year. So we've done one on detachment and one on how to grow in prayer. And uh, we're planning for the fall a course specifically on mental prayer. 
So you can find out about all of those at contemplativehomeschool.com. Wonderful. Awesome. I'm excited for those. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> awesome. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Connie. Yeah, um, it's been a pleasure. You always end the show. I don't know if I'm supposed to say anything. Yeah. To? Well, okay. th- I mean, thank you, Connie. And thank you for joining us. Uh, all those who are listening or watching, you know, as always, we want to hear what you're thinking. We want to, you know, hear about your experience with the temperaments, maybe some of your discernment of, of your temperament, and maybe especially the practical side. How have you found the temperaments as a helpful lens in, you know, in being more prudent, being more proactive, being managing yourself better and helping those around you better? We'd love to hear that input, especially uh, go ch- download the app, go to the Awaken app. Io join our community and we'd love to hear some of your reflections. Also, if you like what we're doing here, as I said before, you know we invite you to go to awakencatholic.org/slash/donate uh, and become a member of the nation. Help us to uh, help support this mission of sharing truth through uh, beautiful media. And also download the Hallow app. It's a good, um, it's a neat tool. Actually, I, I want to rethink the Hallow app in terms of the temperaments. I feel like there are some temperaments, especially, <laughs> where that could be an invaluable tool to have. You know, a guided. Uh, you know, faithful Catholic uh, meditations, guided audio meditations to help you in your prayer life. I feel like there's some temperaments for whom that would be a spiritual, uh, spiritual uh, <laughs> life preserver. So check that out at hallow.app uh, slash awaken, where you can get a three uh, free month uh, subscription and also supports our ministry, which we appreciate. So once again, thank you for joining us for this episode of Elevate Ordinary. We'll see you again next time. God bless. This show and all media on Awaken Catholic is made possible by the Awaken Nation and the Hollow app. The Awaken Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hello.app slash awaken.